Welcome back to Presidents and Politics. It's good to be back. It is. It's good to be back. You had a good Christmas break. And uh, seeing that it's the first one back, I guess that's why we're doing a doubleheader. Yes, we are. But we'll do two and one. Uh, this is your this is your BOGO week. Yeah. Listen to one, get two thrown in. Uh, so we're going to pick up, though, with James Garfield. And what an interesting... He honestly is one of my favorite presidents that we never got to see what he could become, right? True. Uh, assassinated so early in, but what an interesting, interesting man. I often wonder, had he got a full term, especially two terms, how the country would have been different. True. He was, uh, you know, he, again, he was a, he was probably one of the last self-made yes. presidents we had, one of the last ones to be raised in the log cabin. Very Lincoln-esque. Very Lincoln-esque. Very Lincoln-esque. You know, and he decided he wanted to go see the world as a sailor and made <laughs> as far as the canals uh, where he led a mule team to bring, you know, uh, Flatboats down the, the the canal. I read that while he was in that job, he fell overboard sixteen times, and he didn't know how to swim. Amazing. So they they <laughs> before long they're like, hey, this isn't the job for you. Yeah. And they get him, and they and he goes back home, and he's a school teacher for a while. But yeah, school teacher. That was uh, college what kind professor. Of that college president. Yes. Uh, By the age you know, of twenty six. Yes. Amazing, right? Like, yeah. And, and here's what's so amazing: he he works his way through college. So, and you you know a lot of this. He goes to college and um, dirt poor, dirt dirt Very. poor. So he works as a carpenter and as a janitor. Within a few years, he's basically in today's time what we call like a GA, like a graduate assistant. Right. Then he's an assistant professor, and then he is the president of a college by 26. So he comes in as this poor kid mopping the floors, yeah. and by age 26, he's the president of the university. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, he gets elected to the uh, Ohio Senate. He does. And, and uh, also like Lincoln, what we're talking about his early life, he, he never knew his father. No, his father died when he was two. Yes. Yeah. Um, and his father, I, I actually did some reading on his father because they're, they're of Irish blood. His father's this really interesting guy. His father made an early career as a uh, professional wrestler, actually. I did not know that. Yes. he. Was, they said how strong he was. He's really large. Garfield's a pretty big dude, too. Yeah, he was. Um, yeah. He was well over 200 in a time that that was pretty rare. And they said of Garfield's dad that his, his party trick, if you will, was that he would pick up a, a barrel of whiskey and would drink out of the borehole. Now, Ooh. a barrel of whiskey, if it's full, I, I had to look this up when I was teaching this uh, uh, several semesters ago. A barrel of whiskey, whiskey, if it's full, is 520 pounds. Oh, come on. Seriously. Now, did he pick it up full? Was it half full? I don't know. It's still ridiculously impressive, but this is this is like the bloodline. I was going to say, that's a bear of a man there. Yes, it is. Wow. And this is the bloodline that Garfield comes from. So you, you have this like preconceived idea, right, that Garfield's going to be this semi-what, minor league baseball player who gets drunk and is crazy. Yes. That's not. He's actually a very smart literary man. He's a renaissance man. He is. In many ways. He is, but he's also a great military man. He is an incredible you know, he, military he, leader. He, he joins the Union Army, uh, fights in, I guess, the Battle of Shiloh, the mm -hmm. Battle of Chickamauga. And actually has his horse wounded underneath him in the Battle of Shiloh while he is a general lieutenant colonel at the time. He's high-ranking. Yeah. But he's still working behind the scenes the whole time and continues riding through on a wounded horse. So he's not that commander who hides in the background like some did. No, he, he, he really he took on a fight and then— had himself elected to the United States Congress while he was still in the army. Yes, and on the uh, the, the the influence of uh, Abraham Lincoln, who convinced him to, um, you know, give up his commission and mm -hmm. serve in the United States Congress, which mm -hmm. he did. His mother said of him, by the way, on his mind, that he learned how to read and was reading books at the age of three. That's amazing. Yeah. 
It's amazing. Um, when he was, I think it was in Congress. He, was, he served what nine times? Yeah, in Congress? eighteen years. Yeah. Okay, he served nine times in Congress, and they 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 questioned him a little bit about like his intellect, because more than likely he probably had the highest IQ of any president. Now he didn't right. have he didn't have the opportunities of like a, a Jefferson or an Adams or one of these guys who had just you know been able to voraciously study from an right. early. I mean, Jefferson's earliest memory was being carried by a servant on a pillow, right? Yeah, yeah. But, but 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 he did teach Greek and, and Latin. He did. You know, he did so, so he, much so that when he was in Congress, somebody had asked him something about his education. And he answered the question, get this, writing Greek with one hand and Latin with the other Whoa. hand and wrote out the answer. Then asked him if they wanted to bring a translator, check it, they could. <laughs> this was the mind this guy had. And I like that. He's kind of, the, uh, he's kind of like put up or, show, uh, put up or yeah. shut up, right? Like just here. Let's well, just they see. also say that when he was in Congress, sometimes he would leave the session and go down to the mall and watch professional baseball. Wow. I did not yeah, know that. Yeah. Interesting. He was a He's a good guy fan. then. Yes, exactly. He probably would have been a Braves fan in today's time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I love this about Garfield. He's just such an interesting, interesting guy. Um, he's also a very devout follower of Christ. He is a devout yeah. Christian. Yeah. Wanted to become a pastor actually early yeah. on. Considered being a pastor. And his mind is so. Again, I just I just think about his mind. His mind was so interesting that he's chosen to give um, the commencement speech as a student, and his, his speech was on um, the matter of dualistic natures or something like that. It was like wow. a metaphysical speech on dualism and like Plato and Aristotle's view of, of like Gnosticism or something. But you mm. you look at this guy's mind and you're thinking, and we've said this over and over again, but where are these guys? Yes, you're right. Men where, and where? women. Where are these politicians? Yeah. And another thing that he reminds me of that you and I have talked about a lot on this podcast is the uh, the lack of desire for political power. And, and you and I actually oh, he's this a in reluctant a class. president. hundred percent. I, I mean, the way he becomes nominated for president is just is, is outrageous. Yes. I mean, he doesn't want it. Yes. In fact, he's working against it. He doesn't yes. want to be nominated. He called it. I wrote this down. He said he didn't want to come become mountain. The office of president was to him a bleak mountain. Yeah. A bleak mountain. And again, this reminds you of Washington, right? Remember Washington thought it was like uh, going to the gallows to go? Yeah. Um, Reagan was similar to this. He wouldn't be left alone on his, his ranch in California. And Truman. you and I were discussing this in a class. We're teaching together this idea of not wanting political power. And Plato, of course, said that only a person who doesn't desire power is fit for it. And you and I had this whole conversation Garfield in class. was there. Yeah. And how do we find that in today's time? How you do you know, find people who don't want power, but yeah. they're the ones we need to be having power? I, you know, in the, the election of 1880, you know, um, because because Rutherford, uh, Rutherford B. Hayes is not going to be nominated. So the Republicans are trying to figure out who they're going to put up. They're going to put up Grant again. They're going to put up, uh, who was it, uh, Blaine from Minnesota, mm -hmm. uh, Maine, and then um, uh, Sherman, who was the Secretary of the Treasury. Yes. And you have the, what I liked is that you have these different factions now yes. in the Republican Party. You have the stalwarts. And the, the moderates. right wing. Where the, yeah, the half-breeds, <laughs> yes, you know, which yes. are today's rhinos, I guess. And I, after 36 ballots of trying to nominate somebody and, 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 and Garfield saying, look, I want Sherman to do it. I want Sherman to do it. And they, he makes a speech that impresses everybody at the convention. And on the 36th ballot, they nominate him. And he's like, I don't want this. Right. I don't want to be president. Yes. And he becomes president. And I think he honestly would have been one of the best. I would have I loved too. to see him get a well, full term. Well, you know, the, the, the Pension Act, which he, he did not live long enough to see, mm -hmm. but what he believed in was merit-based civil service. That's correct. Not patronage, which had That's been, correct. you know, uh, when, when we talk about um, uh, Arthur, we'll, we'll get into that. But, <laughs> you know, he he took on Roscoe Conklin. Yes, he does. Senator, powerful senator from New York who believed in patronage and 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 and. Garfield said no. And so Conklin decides, you know what, we're not going to approve your appointment. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so 
Garfield says, okay, well, then we're not going to appoint anybody. We're not even going to appoint your friends. So so Conklin, which was one of the stupidest political moves uh, I think Fully ever could agreed. be, but he was so he was so full of hubris, Conklin believes that he can resign and not and shut everything down and then get reelected to his position and show Garfield and and it's like he resigns and with him he never comes back yes. he doesn't get reelected he doesn't you know and so Garfield wins that one because there's an important like life lesson there you're not indispensable Absolutely. you can always be replaced Absolutely. Nobody remembers. Yeah. Okay? I mean, that's the one thing that politicians have to understand. Nobody's going to remember you. Because go ask them in the street who Gongfield was. Like, yeah. Go find anyone. Be like, hey, tell me about this guy. Because he was so popular and so powerful. Like, yeah. tell me about this guy. Exactly. Some history professors probably wouldn't know who that was. You're probably right. Truth be told. You're probably right. So I think that I love that. And I, I, that's one of the things I like about this podcast is we look at individuals in history, but also there's just so many, there's so many life lessons to be taken from these individuals. That's why history is so powerful. He's and you man. and I were talking before this, this podcast even started that humanities are powerful because you learn how to communicate, but you can also see yourself in other people. Yes, you can. And, and when we do these podcasts, and what we try to do is show how these people struggled themselves. That's right. They were normal, average, everyday yes. guys who would want to skip work and go watch a baseball game. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> how much more real and average does that get? How many of us Guilty. wanted to call in and go watch a baseball game, exactly. right, if it, was, if it was training right now? But, I mean, that is just he, – they're real. They're they are not, real. They're not the Greek pantheon over here like they many times get painted, right? True. And I think one of the things about Garfield that really bothered him about the presidency was the fact that there was patronage and that yes. he had all these political appointments he had. To, and he spent so much time interviewing candidates for, for positions who were given to him by their loyalty to the party mm -hmm. and not on the merits of their qualifications. In fact, that takes him to the situation of Charles Coteau. Coteau <laughs> one who, of the craziest men in history. Yeah. The more you dig in this guy, one of the craziest I, I, men in history. Oh, yeah. I mean, they had him back then, too. Yeah. <laughs> And, 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 you know, here's a guy. He even actually goes to the White House. Uh, he's a stalwart. He's an Arthur uh, uh, supporter. And he goes to try to get a political position. And he's denied. Yeah. You know, he's not even, he's not even taken seriously. No. So he shows give you them. A, give you an Okeechobee expression. He's as crazy as a $3 bill. Yeah. Right? I mean, this guy, it, it doesn't get everything he ever did failed. He was a lawyer. He attempted to be a politician. He, he actually tries to run a cult for a while. I don't know if you knew this or I not. I didn't know that. But he gets involved in this, this really out, it's called the, or, uh, the Oneida cult. No, not Oneida Silver, but the Oneida cult. And he gets involved in this. He's in it for like five years. It, it's this off-the-wall crazy cult. I mean, you can't you can't make this stuff up. This is why truth really is stranger than fiction. Yes. He's involved in this, in this crazy cult for like five years. Um, part of the cult was free love and free marriage, which was super bizarre in the 1800s. He's so unpopular, the women, that his name is Charles Godot, and the women in the commune start calling him Charles get out because they don't, want <laughs> they don't want anything to do with him. He's got wow. a very fragile ego. So this is probably one of the things that leads to his even more break with, with reality. Right. He leaves this cult. Um, he becomes a bill collector because you know that the, the greatest people of society often become bill collectors. Yes. Then he figures out as he's a bill collector that he can start keeping the money and not giving it back because no one's ever going to send a bill collector after bill collector was his line of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever comes up with that. He flees. I think he stays in New York for a while. does like a stint in prison. His, his sister bails him out. Then he threatens his sister with an axe when she asks for the money back. He this was is truly insane. Truly insane. This is his background that led up to the assassination. Yes. So just to get it kind of a – you look at someone like Booth, and Booth was Booth was unhinged, but Booth was also very intelligent. He thought he was fighting for a cause, a wrong cause. Oh, absolutely. A very wrong cause. Yeah. But I don't know if Booth was just certifi certifiably insane. Godot's certifi certifiably yes, insane. Yes, he is. He 100%. Is. Like, and, and he calmly you know, approaches uh, Garfield at the train station in D.C. and shoots him twice. Twice. 
Yeah. In the elbow yeah. and the back. By the way, I don't know if, you, if you've read this or not. This, I always find this fascinating. He's, he's so insane that he believes doing this is going to make him so famous yeah. that when he buys a gun, he picks out the prettiest gun he can because he wants it to look good in a museum. So he picks out That's a 40, he pick, it's beyond sick. He picks out a 44, I, I remember reading through this, he picks out a 44 caliber British bulldog and he paid extra to have ivory handles on it because he wanted it to really gleam when it was in a museum one day. Crazy. That's Absolutely crazy insane. Is. And then begins another constitutional crisis. Yes. That I don't think our founders prepared for or even Congress thereafter yes. prepared for. And that's, well, what do you do with a... Uh, a disabled and and maybe uh, you know incapacitated president. president. Uh, at, you know, what do you do? What do you and that, for four what eighty seventy nine days? Yeah, because eleven weeks, right? Yeah, yeah. we can't. Neither one's gonna do math. I wrote down no. weeks. You wrote down days. So yes, we'll, and and, and <laughs> we'll here he later. is. You know, he doesn't die. And then come the doctors. And then ah. comes Alexander Graham Bell's new invention. Yes, the the metal detector. Yes, to why find he's the laying on a bed with metal springs, and then they wonder why they can't find it. I mean, thank God the miracles of modern medicine have evolved so far. But back then, you know, here he is. That he's still got a bullet in him. They think he's going to rebound. He's going to make it back. It's nearly 80 days. He's on this bed, and then he gets infections, sepsis, and dies. But during a that period death. of time, yes. But during that period of time, we don't know who's running the country. That's we right. don't even know who should be running That's the country right. because he's still alive. So it's not the vice president. Mm -hmm. You know, this is this is something that's that's that that we we deal with for several years thereafter before it's addressed. And you wonder how it it went this long. I mean, we're like in the eighteen sixties now, right? right? Or eighteen eighties now. And you wonder like how we how we went this long because what would have happened if you have a president of the United States and say he has a massive stroke and he's a vegetable now? Yeah. Constitutionally, there was nothing that was You're set right. up for so. Jefferson has a stroke and he and he's laying in bed as a vegetable for four years. Who rules? Yeah. We voted him in. Yeah. And even more so back then when the vice president wasn't even on the same ticket. Like, we give it to the opposite party now? Yeah. This this was a constitutional— It's the evolution of our Constitution. You it know, is. I mean, we but we deal with it within the process provided by the Constitution. That's mm -hmm. what's so called an amendment. Absolutely. You know, we have ways of handling this now. And I'm sure there are things that, that we saw on January 6th that mm -hmm. were corrected by Congress, or at least attempted to be corrected by Congress in the, uh, you know, the Electoral College Act. And it raises new questions. And again, not, not pointing to any individual candidate before we get emails uh, or any party, but as you look at presidents— at what point do we determine the competency of an individual to rule? And this is this this leads to this amount. Like if he's on his bed and he's half bedridden, or he maybe is mentally incapacitated from this injury, at what point is his power taken from him? And some of these questions have not been fully uh, vetted. vetted to this day. That's true. So it, history always repeats itself. Yes, right? it does. Um, but but it's interesting because he takes on. The, uh, I mean, Garfield would have been. I think a very effective—he was, he was a staunch abolitionist. You know, he believed in, in bringing the South back in, yes, but he, 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 he also, you know, was strong for civil rights. Yes, because of his faith, more than likely. Yes. He's a diehard believer. And um, his passing gives rise to, of course— uh, Arthur, oh. So before we go to his passing, uh, you talked about this, but the, the modern medicine is such a joke. Over 12 doctors will work on him. They start working on him on the moment he hits the train floor— um, and they'll actually take unwashed hands and start digging Ew. for the bullet. They'll do over three operations with unsterilized instruments. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Dr. Bliss. And believe me, there was nothing blissful about his uh, his work. But Dr. Bliss will become the head 
chief of surgeon, if you will, o- over the care uh, 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 wow. of, and, and what you see throughout this is 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 hubris. You talked about that. Yeah. The British idea was that germs were real, and the British actually started working on this in the, in the 1860s by a guy by the name of Dr. Lister, who later, by the way, Listerine's yeah, named Listerine, after. Yeah. Um, and Dr. Lister believes in germs. Um, the American mindset was that's British hogwash, and there's no such thing as germs. We can't see them. We can't feel them. There's no such thing as germs. That's just dumb British people. They believe in the bad air theory, that bad air causes sickness. So they're like trying to protect the air over the president. The whole time they are infecting him with just germs oh. like crazy. And, and, and you read this, and I always tell my students when we, when we study history, you wonder how much of our medicine today, 50 years from now, people look back and be like, they were Fools, right? <laughs> and that's exactly like they they killed this man. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember reading there was a medical historian. I think it's from Johns Hopkins. I don't remember where it's from, but a medical historian writing over this case, and he said more than likely had they just left him alone, he yeah. would have lived. Like everything would have healed up. He would have been fine. He would have just left Isn't that him amazing? alone. They literally killed him. And this is um, I don't know if you read this or not, but this is Godot's defense. When Godot is on trial, he tries to represent himself, and they're like, "You're crazy." And then um, they fire his first lawyer, and I think they finally get his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law had a law degree, so they're like, "Basically, you have to represent this guy." I mean, can you you have Goodness. a law degree? Can you imagine Goodness. Goodness. being called? in for like some crazy brother like you have to represent this guy (laughs) um and godot's defense was i didn't kill the president i simply shot him the doctors did Hmm. which yeah even though he was a precipitating cause i mean (laughs) you know i mean it's kind of hard not to break that chain of causation but yeah so we we leave we leave this idea and now we move to arthur the peacock the peacock he had uh, this. This cracks me. He's best known, as you talked about, for his his outfit changes. And at one time, he owned over eighty pairs of pants while he was in the White House. Yes, I heard about that. Who he also owns eighty pairs of well, pants. And 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 he was quite the partier. He was quite the reveler. Again, yes. The reason he becomes president is, of course, because Garfield is yes. assassinated. But the reason he becomes vice president is in order to. To, to, to patronize the stalwarts, mm-hmm. they put him on the ticket because he is a big supporter of Conklin. Mm-hmm. In fact, R- Rutherford B. Hayes appoints him as the uh, what the, the collector general of the mm-hmm. Port of New York. So he's head of this political organization that's collecting money from the port, that's paying back money to the party, mm-hmm. and, and, and then the, paying these patronage jobs. So he's the beneficiary of all the things that Garfield's against. That's how he bought his 80 pairs of pants. Yes. Right there. Well, I also understand this is, that when, when I was doing some reading on this, that when he became president, he went to Tiffany's to and and uh, bought all new furnishings and took twenty wagon loads of furniture and furnishings out of the White House from previous presidents and sold them at auction. Wow! Yes, I have not read that before. And it's—I mean, this man was. Uh, they said that he would work from ten to four and nap in between. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this was a guy that that suddenly finds himself as president, but I think he also realizes the significance of the presidency. And then, to his credit, the only thing I think he—well, he does two good things. One, he 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 signs into law the Pendleton Act, mm-hmm. which gets rid of patronage and. Re- creates the civil service, and two, he rebuilds the Navy, yes. which I think is absolutely and he's necessary. the first president to sign in the idea of all steel ships. Yes. We were still using—now, they weren't technically wooden like the 1700s. They were usually iron-coated, the iron right, sides, the, iron the old sides, iron sides. Right. So we were still using old iron sides back from before the Civil War. We're still yeah. using these old iron sides. So he does and also he attempts to lower the tariffs. So yes. he's kind of an Adam Smith guy, free market guy, which I totally respect. I'm, a, I'm an Adam Smith free market kind of guy, so I, I'm all for that. But it said that after the compromise, he's going back and forth, back and forth, that after the end of all this, I think he lowered tariffs by like 1.5% was all that was the... Isn't that amazing? So I don't think he really... But maybe you started the ball rolling. Maybe the idea of free market and free trade was at least trying to, to yeah. peel back some of these tariffs and these regulations that had really overgrown, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we can give him credit for that. But, but you know, I mean, he starts out. He starts out as as a really good guy. He 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 
becomes a lawyer, which isn't a bad thing. <laughs> but he also another abolitionist. Um, and he I think his father was a, a, a Baptist preacher. He was. And, and, and he does the um, uh, he takes two very important cases in New York. Um, oh, uh, was it uh, the, uh, the Jennings case where he represents this lady who is, is uh, a black uh, female who is thrown off a uh, New York streetcar wow. uh, because of her race. Mm-hmm. And he takes the case and wins. Good for him. And then he also uh, defended the uh, the Lemon Slave Act or the slave law, which said that and 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 and, and it was in, in one which allowed for slaves traveling through New York to become free. Great. And so he he established himself. He, again, he was a he was a strong unionist. Yes. Uh, he was he was an abolitionist. His military career was as quartermaster mm-hmm. of the state of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more of an administrator, right? We he's kinda, he's just, very much an – he is an administrator. He's a paper pusher. I'm sorry yeah. to say it, but he is. He's good at it. He's a really yeah. good paper pusher. I don't think he ever thought he would be uh, uh, a politician. Nor did he probably ever want to. No. I mean, it would cut into his nap time and his pants buying time. And, you know, he can make a good living as a lawyer yeah. doing his stuff. He's, Absolutely. He's, he's, and, but then he gets into politics. And, Which, if I'm not mistaken, the vice presidency was his first political office he ever held. Yes. Other than, of course, being a port collector. But, I mean, like a true kind of political yes. office. Yes. He's vice president. No one ever, Okay. No one would have ever dreamed that he was going to be the president of the United States one day. No. And that's one of the things that I love about this podcast. We hit these guys that everybody thinks about. These are average people. Sometimes, can we even use the term a little bit below average people? Oh, gosh, And yes. they're holding these oh, offices, yes. right? Like, it, it can happen literally to anyone. It can happen literally to anyone. He's holding this office. No one would have ever dreamed he would hold this office. Um, by the way, I don't know if you read this or not, but there was a lot of controversy at this time over his uh, place of birth. I don't, I don't know if you've Oh, yes. They this. thought he was born in Canada. And they brought this up uh, during the, the whole Obama scandal. They, oh, yeah. they brought this up and they tried to, to like find historical precedents on this and stuff. Um, but yeah, they thought he was born because his dad is, a, is an itinerant preacher yeah. going back and forth from Canada and America. And more than likely, as you look at the records, like his dad is preaching at a church the year he was born and the church he's preaching is in Canada. So there's there's a ton of controversy over this, oh, yeah. and his enemies constantly go back and they're like, "You're Canadian born, you can't hold this office anyway." And it, it yeah, may, could have been, could have been the first yeah. Canadian born president. It's true, you know. He, he even though he becomes a New Yorker and born allegedly born in um, allegedly, you know, Vermont. And yes. you're right, his father was a, and a, an itinerant preacher. Yes, uh, one of the things he also did, which I, I is great for discussion, is the. Um, uh, what was it? The Chinese exclusion uh, act. Exclusion act. Yes. Originally, twenty years, mm-hmm. excluding any Chinese immigrant from becoming. No matter the skill level. Yes. So I mean, doctors. You're not coming to the United States yeah, for twenty politicians, years. No. Even though we we let them build the railroad, we you know we use their labor, mm-hmm. and then we then the, he vetoes the first bill, mm-hmm. and they override him, and they agree on ten years, <laughs> and still, you know, immigration. My point is, immigration was still a big issue yes, back it was. then. Seriously, big issue yes, back it was. then. And you and you wonder, we need the labor. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, maybe we've got too much labor and it's depressing, you know, the wages or whatever. Yes. So we just say you can't come into the country anymore. And you and I were talking about this before the, the podcast began, but the rail was built on, on the backs of two ethnicities, the Chinese on the West Coast right. and the Irish on the East Coast. Yeah. And they build and meet together. And what's, what's interesting is we find the Chinese Exclusion Act where Chinese are kept out. And then at that similar time period, we find the anti-Irish sentiment all through the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there, were, there, were, there were stores in New York that would Hang, uh, signs that said no Irishmen need apply, um, and there were there there were bars that would hang up signs that would say um, no Irish or dogs allowed. Wow. You know, which is some of the birth of the Irish pubs. They they started building their own places. Fine, we'll go hang out where we want to yeah. anyway, right? So we we see that that wave of anti uh, migration slash immigrant 
hitting on both coasts against two different ethnic groups that ironically built the railroad together. Right? So I, I guess what you could say from from when we talk about these presidents is that the actual holding of the office has some transformative effect on their on their lives, on their conscience. That's good. And, 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 and on their predisposed philosophies. I yes. mean, you know, here's a guy who should have never allowed the Pendleton Act to be no. passed because he was such a beneficiary of the, the patronage world, who realizes how important it is to have merit-based mm -hmm. uh, civil service mm -hmm. and civil servants. So, you know, there's something about the office that does transform That's these good. people. Um, we just hope that, you know, that, that, that it continues to do so for all the right reasons. That's... I. I like that. Yeah. Right. And um, he kind of ends up being, in, in a way, almost kind of an independent, if you will, throughout that, that he does. final term. In fact, so independent that he doesn't prepare himself for reelection. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. He's got uh, pants to go by. Yeah. <laughs> and that's exactly. To take. I mean, yeah. and what's interesting that you brought that up <laughs> of, of how, I, I guess, in, in a way, these individuals are morality tales. His son picks up on this, and his son is known throughout D.C. He only has one son, and his son is known throughout D.C. as being one of the first uh, political playboys, if you will. Ah. And his son never even gets a job, really. His son just takes wealth. He kind of he plays polo. He shops. He eats, and then he he's marries. a young influencer. That's a good, <laughs> if they would have had that, he would have been all over that, yes. right? Um, but he basically just marries two wealthy women, and that's wow. what he does through his life. So I guess what I'm saying is, in, in many ways, what, what the father allows the son embraces, mm -hmm. and, you, and you see this, right? Like, here, here's, here's the dad. He's taking his 4 o'clock nap. He's buying his 80 pants. He's going to diff Tiffany's, and now his son's like, you know what? I can outdo I can that. Do that. Yeah, I can do that better. <laughs> I can do that even better. Yeah. Um, and, and I guess this is, we keep harping on this because it reminds me when we start getting to other political leaders like Teddy Roosevelt, voluntary hardships. Yes. Define his character. Oh my goodness. Blue blood I mean, family. And he says, I'm not going to uh, do that. Yeah. Go out West, make it on my own ranch, travel the Amazon. Like voluntary hardships, and I honestly believe, I honestly believe that voluntary hardships produce the greatest leaders. I think you're absolutely right. And that's something I think we're missing. And and, and, and you know this better than anyone. You spent time in Congress. And I'm not saying that every congressman, that every political leader is just some Tiffany, you know, pants wearing. There are good, strong, godly people, men and women oh, in politics today. Absolutely. But we need people who embrace voluntary hardships again. I, I couldn't agree more. And I'm seeing some of my friends in Congress now announce their retirement, and it concerns me because mm -hmm. that void is going to be filled somewhere. And if we don't have the right character yes. of people that believe in the greater good of this nation, we're going to have extremism taking us over. Not that we can't totally survive agree. it as a nation, because one of the things about these podcasts is that we show how our nation has survived some very difficult times, some yes. very intense divisiveness. But all of that is also avoidable yes. if we train the people. If we, if we, if when I don't mean train the people, but if we offer them the opportunity to learn how to be the leaders that we need to see. Absolutely. Well, if we educate them and let them critically think, they'll come to these conclusions on their own, right? They will. History critically think. History repeats itself yes. for a reason. We just need to keep saying. Okay, we talk to author, and in case individuals think that we're being a little uh, harsh, <laughs> here's what. Let me. I wrote this down. The Chicago, the Chicago Tribune. Uh, summed up his life this way. Uh -huh. <laughs> Mr. Author's temperament was sluggish. He was indolent. He required a great deal. It required a great deal for him to get to his desk and begin his business. There has never been a president 
who like to procrastinate more than him. And in fact, I, I ran across a saying that one of his former staffers says that, uh, that, that President Arthur would, would not do today what he knows he could put off till tomorrow. And, you know, <laughs> and to have one of your staffers say that, that's just like, wow. Uh, that's... Wow. Yeah, in the White House. That's a that's a pretty harsh critique. Yeah. And we talked. I, I, I got to touch on this before we, we close this down. We talked about some of the constitutional issues. One of the biggest constitutional issues that came about is at two fifteen eight two fifteen a.m. on September twentieth, eighteen eighty one, mm. when Arthur is going to become president. There is now once he's sworn in, there's no vice president, there's no president of the Senate, and there's no secretary of the House, and there's no president pro term. So literally. Once you have authors sworn in, there is no presidential line of succession for that night. Wow. Had he had a heart attack, mm-hmm. you wonder what would have happened to American government. There was literally nothing in place yet for anyone to Isn't take over. Now, this is one thing, as, as much as we make fun of him, that he was actually very wise. And author is actually smart enough that he takes out stationery once he's sworn as president. And he writes a letter of his wishes and already convenes Senate in the letter. And then he mails that to the White House, and his thought process was if he died on the way, the presidential order would be there without him, mm. and if he lived, he would just tear it up when he got there. That's kind of that's that's wise. It's that's a lawyer's very, mind, yeah, isn't it? Is. It's that a is lawyer. Very wise. It's, it's very, very smart. Wise. So before we just pick, on, I got to find something redeeming. I, mean, I can't just like yeah. beat up on this guy for twenty minutes. But when we look at this, that's a very lawyer mindset. That was a very intelligent way of looking at it. But again, I guess one of the things I look at when I think of this is how many times the American. Republic, whatever term you want to use, was hanging on by a thread. Yes. Like, someone could have sneezed wrong. Yeah. And this whole thing could have been over. And how many times did we ever know about it? Probably not that many. And how many times, like you said, do we not know about this? Still, yes. things have happened like that. Yeah. And I guess for me, for, for my faith, and I, I think you would agree with your faith, yes. you see the providential hand of God. Amen. You see God just working behind <laughs> the scenes, just just moving little things in situations and divinely protecting. I agree. There's a, there's a proverb where Solomon writes, one of my favorite proverbs, he says this, the Lord guards the inexperienced. And I think back I'm, in my life, how many times I, I was dumb. I, I'm, I'm, I'm living proof of that. <laughs> yeah. I realize that. And I, God you know. just guarded me. Like, the Lord guards the inexperienced. Yeah. And I think when we look at the young nation of America, there were so many times that we were inexperienced, and God just guarded us. God just supernaturally, behind the scenes, with his, with his sovereign yeah. hand, just upheld things. I think you're right. And this this is one of those times. And again, you know, these transitional presidents lead us to eventual greatness and yes. presidencies, as we will see in the yes, next we couple get of weeks. Yes, to get to guys like uh, Roosevelt. Teddy yeah. Roosevelt, and That's we're going to get to uh, his, his, you know, FDR for all of his faults, and he had yeah. a lot of faults. He did expand the government, but there's some good ones coming. Yeah, and, you know, when we get to Roosevelt, uh, to Wilson, and we talk about his, uh, you know, incompetence at the oh. time, and his wife runs the presidency, <laughs> that'll be much. interesting to talk that about. will be. But it was also raised here in Chester, I mean, in James Garfield's yes. situation. You yes, yes of how much power is actually divested in the role of the individual and to what vetting process do we have to make sure that individual is competent for handling that role. Exactly. Those are serious questions. And we saw it happen just recently, not before we close. You know, I mean, I want to I want to take contemporary history here, but what happened with our Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin? That's a great. You know, draw. here he goes into he, here he is. He we have these attacks going on in the Middle East. He's in the hospital. Nobody knows that. Mm. And who's calling these shots? Absolutely. And why isn't the president made aware of this? I mean, yes. this is this is stuff that's you know we're living these constitutional challenges yes. still today. Yes. That 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 we need to be well aware of. Which brings the question: a lot of times the 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 political mindset then is regulate, right? Put it into law that you have to disclose. But all honesty, regulations don't fix the human condition. No. We don't need more regulations. Thank we need you. to raise up leaders Thank you. who have the character not to do those things. 
I, I remember one time I was in a college class and I had a professor who made the statement. He said, every rule has a name attached to it. Every law just about has a name attached mm-hmm. to it. If we educate and raise up leaders that don't need to be so heavily regulated, we don't need more regulations. Amen. We need leaders who know how to lead from character, not because of fear of breaking a rule. Laws were made for the lawbreakers. Spot on. Was it yeah. Jefferson who said that this uh, this form of government only works for virtuous people? Yes. It only works for virtuous people. Yeah. So we don't need more laws. We need more virtuous we people. We need to be raising virtuous people. Yes. And that's where, you know, we as a society have to agree to do that. And we have to Agreed. understand that absent that, the next generation will not be able to handle the crises that will come because the crises will be exponentially worse than what we've been experiencing just by our very nature of technology, uh, just by our very nature of divisiveness yes. that we continue you know, it's and we need take... strong, virtuous people to handle these challenges. Yes, and we need to let those people know that they have an obligation to be involved in this process because that's, that's the way it was designed. Yeah, it's an obligation and it's a privilege. It's yes. both. But yes. those two can't be divorced from each other. No. <laughs> no, right? exactly. Maybe we're doing our small part as we talk about these presents that nobody remembers. I hope so. I hope so, too. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. We look forward to next week as we continue our series on the, well, the 22nd president. 23rd. 22nd. 22nd. 22nd, yep. 22nd president. So, again, yep. we don't do numbers. Yeah, exactly. We'll see you next week. Thanks.